seconds flat. Give me up. What is it? What is it? This is the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. He's been broken three times. He refuses to give in. He might do it. Look at that guy. Look at Black Zero. Oh, my God. Matt Hensley is a director of business development and operations for Roll Recovery. Roll makes functional and mobile recovery products, including the incredibly popular R8, which is a deep tissue massage roller. We're excited to spend time with Matt on Mile 81 as we discuss Roll Recovery, his family tradition of running excellence, training, how the running community is helping Roll's hometown of Boulder, Colorado stay resilient in the wake of tragedy, and much more. Matt shares so many great stories along the way. For more on Roll Recovery products, check out Run In at 1301 East Washington Street, across from Cleveland Park in Greenville. Now here's Matt Hensley at Mile 81 of Seconds Flat. Matt Hensley, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for sharing some time with us. To start, tell us about your running journey. Man, deep question right away. (laughs) Uh, My parents were runners. My dad, a little earlier than my mom, but uh, yeah, he started running when he was a teenager and kind of found his thing. And he lived in New England, kind of around the running boom then, and really got into it and graduated from high school and drove across the country out to Oregon to see if he could walk on the uh, University of Oregon team. And there he trained under Bill Dellinger for quite a while and uh, had some Bill Bowerman uh, designed shoes you know, the, the whole deal over there, he was, uh, I believe he was a freshman when Pre was a senior and he was a part of one of the NCAA championships they won there and went on to do the marathon, it was a 216 marathoner, met my mom, got her into running, she was a sub three hour marathoner and it's funny, we, they had five kids and all of us did basically every sport there was, but all found ourselves doing, you know, track or cross country and, and then hitting the roads as we got older, so that's kind of where it all started. What are the best running memories that your father has shared with you from those experiences at Oregon or out on the road as a marathoner? (laughs) Well, we joked that he was like the Forrest Gump back then and that he just had all these kind of random occurrences that you look now and you're like, man, like how did that happen? So obviously getting to run at University of Oregon for a little while, he lived or no, he worked at the first subway. And then actually my favorite story is he went to the Honolulu Marathon in the late 70s and he uh, stayed with this colonel and all his buddies. And they were all bragging about this event that they did the year before. They're like, oh yeah, we swam this much, we ran this much, and, or rode a bike this much, and then ran this much. And he's like, man, that's stupid. Who would ever want to do that? And it ended up being the guys that, that started uh, Iron Man. So we joke he's like Forrest Gump, all these like crazy opportunities uh, in front of him that he kind of passed on and always chose running. His roommate started the bike company Backroads as well. So those are some of the fun stories we have. And then I think as we were growing up too, like we, we did soccer, basketball, uh, all these other sports. But when we all kind of started getting to running and we started to pass him, it was kind of fun. I remember there were a few races where it was like a battle between me and a couple of my brothers and my dad 
and once we kind of once we kind of got him there, there was no coming back. But he still has a lot of the the PR, so he can junk talk. Still, we gotta we gotta take care of that soon. Uh, he was a two sixteen marathoner. Is that correct? Yeah, two sixteen twenty four. Have you got it every day? <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys ever had a, a marathon with you, some of the siblings, and your dad all in it together? Oh man! So this is about seven or eight years ago. Uh, I contacted the Guinness Book of World Records to kind of see what what kind of records were out there with marathon runners and families and uh, then I contacted the Disney marathon as well. And I basically got this thing going, the Guinness Book of records, the only record they created for us was I wanted to go for something like fastest family, full family to run a marathon, but they said there were too many variables. So they're like, how about most family members of multiple generations to run a marathon? And I was like, okay, well they, they're going to create this classification for us and Disney's going to hook us up and treat us well. I'm like, let's see if we can do this. So I convinced uh, we have seven family members, so my parents, and then there's five kids, four boys, and then a younger sister. And it was just a chaotic time for a lot of us. Uh, my parents hadn't run a marathon in probably 25 years. My oldest brother was about to have his first child. Uh, a few of us just kind of entered the workforce and we're, we're getting busy working. And so it was kind of like this big, like, can we even do this? And uh, it was probably the best week of my life, though. So we we get there and of course my family can't just finish the marathon. Everyone's got to train super hard. So half of everyone shows up like burnt out, fried, injured, you know, people worried about having to take bathroom breaks or not making it or all sorts of these kinds of issues that when you have a full family are going on. And anyway, we all managed to, to finish. And my mom was the last one across the line and we're waiting for her and got pretty warm that day. And we're literally there waiting for her and she like crosses the line and like basically almost falls down. They had to bring a wheelchair out and like, it was this whole ordeal. And we're like, yeah, we got the record. This is awesome. I got all the paperwork done with Guinness book world records. And at this time, you know, it was when it was super exciting when the Guinness book was going to come out at the end of the year, you know, in Walmart or somewhere. So my brother, I think it was December right around Christmas. He like runs into Walmart. He's like, so excited. We're going to be Guinness. They asked for photos. We're going to be in there. And he opens to the running page or whatever. And there's this other family, like twice our size, that has the record. So we went through this whole ordeal and chaos. And apparently, we never had it. This family retroactively did the paperwork to, to get us in there. So they still mess with me about that. But it really was one of the coolest weekends of our life. Disney put us up well, and we, we had a great time. Oh, that's a great story. How many people did the other family have? Do you remember who ran it? Oh, man, it was like, so there were seven of us, and they had like, probably twice as many. It was, oh. it was insane. So anyway, two of my brothers have uh, two kids each now and you know, the family's growing, so they don't know this yet, but I'm, I'm, we're going to do a volume two here. Yeah. <laughs> Plotting to get that record back. Yeah. So oh, yeah. you, you've run a number of marathons, uh, low two twenties, even broke two twenty at Boston in 2014. And I'd love to get into that race a little bit with you. Describe the experience and emotions of running so well in Boston on the first anniversary of the bombing. Yeah, there was, it was a really a special, uh, special, well, it was Monday, not weekend. Um, I was there in 2013 and the bombings and it was, you know, even though I wasn't at the finish line, I had a bunch of friends that were at the finish line. We had just left the finish line area, I think it really shook a lot of us, obviously, for something like that to happen to know that that could have been 
any one of our family members and friends, you know, waiting for us, cheering for us. So it was absolutely devastating. And, you know, to come back the next year was so special. And um, I was in the elite field and I had a plain white bib. And I think I just sharpied like 284. I can't recall the exact number of people that were, you know, injured or killed during uh, the bombing. And it was so crazy because my only focus was on kind of that element of it, of just like redemption for the city and town and Boston strong. And like, I remember being in the uh, church, you know, before the starting line where they have all the elite athletes and, you know, Meb was there, Hall was there, Abdi, like all the top Americans wanted to be there. And it was super special. And in a, another way, my dad, I'd recruited my dad to do another marathon that day. Me and all my brothers did Boston that year because of uh, what happened the year before and got my dad there. And we were yapping away about, oh, let's go for the father and son marathon record. Back then it was a lot weaker than it is now. And uh, so it was that element of it too, kind of really having a special time with my dad. And then, um, yeah, I think for me, it was a super special day and I didn't really pay attention to splits. I just kind of got out there and competed and just took the energy of the, uh, the city and like everything, you know, that I've been through the last year before that and just channeling all that to, for a good cause was really special. And my dad tells a good story where he ended up having a really rough day. It kind of got hot that day for the later runners. If you were any anything above like two forties, if I remember, cause I remember going back out to cheer, it got pretty warm. And anyway, he was having a rough day and I don't think he's ever walked in his whole life. And, um, he asked my cousin, Melissa to yell to him at mile 19, basically how I was doing. And then like what happened in the race and he was having a really rough day. And she was like, Matt ran two nineteen, which is a PR for me at the time. And Meb won the race. And my dad just like adrenaline rent went through the roof. He was super happy for me. And obviously here an American had won. Um, and he, man, he charged those last few miles and, and crushed it. So like being able to do that with my family and then getting to see Meb win and just the way he did it and how it happened, man, what a, what a special Monday marathon day in Boston. That was super cool. Mm. Yeah. It's a special place to begin with, right? The history and now, of course, there's that added meaning. Uh, but yeah, that first one uh, after the bombing was what an emo- emotional day. Yeah, I've been, let's see, I guess four times since then. Yeah, and, and each one still, it, when you get on that starting line, right? Boy, there's a power there's to it. There's nothing like it. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing like I I, uh, I encourage all my athletes that are, yeah, that are marathoners that you got to do Boston. You got to do Boston at some point. Oh yeah. Nothing like it. You said it. And I think fondly of, of 2018 with the just horrible weather. I I remember coming up to, uh, coming through Hopkinton, you know, you get that walk to the start area and I think I just threw out a pair of shoes that were already soaked in a mess and put my racing shoes on and getting loose a little bit. And, and one of the volunteers asked me if I was ready and excited to run. And I said, it, yeah, it's a terrible day, but we're at the starting line in Hopkinton. I mean, what, what better day is there in the world? And the enthusiasm and energy of the people who were still out on that course that day, volunteering, cheering us on, was, it's, it's just 
it's impossible to describe and unmatched from any other experience I've had. I don't know how you guys did it because I was coaching that day and I think I ran out to like, I took the train out, but then I ran a few miles, like mile 17 and it was just coming down. And I got, I literally got so cold. I had to get back on the train at some point. And I'm, I've really thought more people would drop out even than, than what did it. It was incredible. I remember uh, the women's pack ran by me and Desi was like trailing him. And I tried to like make a little joke because it, it literally was absurd because the, you know, the women's pack wasn't, in the masses, you know, they were out there fighting the elements alone. So it was really rough on them. And she was kind of behind the pack and great on the train. And then to the finish and see that she had won, I was like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is incredible. Yeah. Mm. So with those marks you've put up in the marathon, you've continually been right around that Olympic trials qualifier standard, knocking on the door, flirting with 219 time and time again. Could you share what it's been like to be right there so many times? Yeah, so I, I can't even honestly tell you how many times I've run 219 or 220, but it's probably, you know, at least six. And then somewhere between 219 and 223, you know, maybe 20 times. I, I honestly <laughs> don't know. It's somewhere around there. But it's kind of been cool because I remember once I did go back and, like, break it down and like, my first – eight to 10 marathons, I averaged this and next eight, 10 average this. And then my last four have all been around 220, basically averaging that. And I have run 219 before as well, but you know, a lot of people would kind of be discouraged by that, but me, I just, I love it. Like just the opportunity to go out and compete and like have a chance to do that. And a lot of the athletes I coach, there's a, uh, a book called atomic habits. And there was one part in there that I love that I share with them all the time of like, you know, if you're in a, an ice cube is in a room and it's 25 degrees, you know, and you raise it slowly, start raising the temperature, 25, 26, 27, you know, not much changes, 28, 29, 30. But, you know, the special thing happens once you get around 32 and that ice cube starts to melt. And uh, I just think that's a great metaphor with a lot of times, like you may find yourself in what you think is kind of a plateau or, or tougher place, but, you know, you're just right there, right before a big breakthrough. And, and at the same time too, it's just, I just love competing. So, you know, I'm not a, a 210 guy or a, two, a 159 guy, <laughs> but um, it doesn't change. Like, and I coach athletes of all levels, you know, a lot of sub elites, a lot of beginners, a lot of people trying to just finish their first marathon. And like, it's, it's just a special feeling all around. So for me, like the more I can get the better and, you know, the closer I can get to my dad and, and beat him, limit the junk talking will be good. Now, he, he's, he's super supportive and, and he loves it, but I like to mess with him. Well, there's certainly something to be said for your consistency. Uh, as you said, to, to run those times time and again, it certainly could be more powerful than just having one 218.59 and a, and a lot of poor performances to go with that. Yeah, for sure. I, I do enjoy that because I felt like a lot of the athletes I work with, my goal is to kind of narrow this performance gap in that if we can kind of remove as many variables as we can these things that can happen that can kind of cause these way off days you know you can become super consistent and then obviously when things are perfect you have that killer day my dad for example he ran 216 a few times but he also had a lot of dropouts in 230s 240s back you know back then they didn't know as much some of the training they were doing you would look you know i've looked through his training diaries it's like insane some of the stuff 
that they were doing and the fueling aspect they didn't know quite as well. Um, there were just, there's so much advancements and things that have happened since then that, you know, we can capitalize on and kind of narrow that performance gap and yeah, take pride in like being consistent. You know, obviously I want to have a big breakthrough, but you know, I love just executing a race to the best of my abilities and, and seeing what happens. So you mentioned your dad's training from decades ago. You've also talked about the athletes who you coach. What do you value and prioritize in training for your athletes? Yeah, I think so. Steve Jones coaches me here in Boulder. I've seen you've interviewed a few of my teammates as well, Tyler. Absolutely. And yeah. Jones, he's the man. He's um, him and my dad, I would say, have been the greatest influence of, of my coaching and, and running. And it's kind of just your basic principles. I mean, you know, Bill Bowerman said it well, you have an organism and you apply a stimulus and then you give it rest and it adapts. And so I think for me, not overthinking it and kind of just using those basic fundamentals of applying a stimulus or doing a workout and then following it up with rest or active recovery is, as in easy days um, and making sure those easy days are easy enough for you to recover from. And then you know, just creating a happy, fun environment for people to thrive. I think uh, you can't underestimate how far that goes. You know, a lot of times we dive into the numbers and the details and, and a lot of that. But, you know, if, if you train smart and people are happy and having a good time, you know, they can really surprise themselves. I really like that you brought that point up. It can so often get overlooked when we think about the workouts. Um, the specifics of the splits, but being in the right mental framework is so powerful in producing success, right? Yeah. And that's where Jonesy has been amazing in that he's very old school, very by feel, like, you know, we don't have a lot of parameters for workouts and stuff. And it's funny, I, I'm kind of hybrid of old school, new school in that, like, I recognize some of the, the elements that these younger athletes have grown up with or been in different programs and stuff. And, um, but it's still, it's still like that where, you know, you got to train the body to, to run by feel. And, you know, I love the Bruce Lee flow like water, you know, I'm not trying to fight the current here. If my body's telling me I need some rest, we'll take, you know, the best thing for me is probably rest. And that's kind of, yeah, just the basic principles I, I try to coach by. So given your position uh, with role recovery, I'll ask a similar question couched in terms of recovery, what do you most value and prioritize there? Yeah. So as I was saying with, with training in general, like for adaption to occur, there's, you know, you got to apply stimulus and you got to rest and there's ways that we can improve that rest aspect. And I think, you know, on the recovery end of things, there's still obviously a lot of science and data coming out on in different ways we can do that. And I think at, you know, role, what we've tried to do is create, products that are versatile enough that can kind of evolve to you know whatever the science is saying and you know a lot of it too is just what athletes say oh man it feels good to get on a roller for a little bit and obviously if you look at some of the science there's reasons why that is and better ways to do it but in general just finding ways to uh, feel better train harder you know we're super excited about some of the things we have in the pipeline coming out but I'd say our core product is the R8 and over the years it's evolved some and uh, a lot of athletes use that for, you know, a few minutes pre-activity and then they'll use it more extensively later in the day. Um, and then from there we've, we came out with a foot roller, which has been great for anyone struggling with plantar fasciitis. 
or needs a product to travel with as like a body roller. It's really small, so you can travel with the R3. Um, we have the stretch mat, and then we just came out with a customized R8, which is really cool. You can now like design your own R8 and then put in different inserts, softer, harder versions. And we're working on completing an adjustable R8, which is super exciting to announce. Um, it's still a little ways out, but it's, it's what the people want. So we've uh, been working on that. I love the R8. I can't recommend it enough. Are there any specific prescriptions y'all recommend for how to best use the roller before or after running and for how long? Yeah, so I'm obviously not a, a doctor or a PT. Um, and there's kind of, if you look at the science, there's all sorts of uh, directions you can go with it. So I can only go based off personal experience. For me, if, um, you know, before an activity, I'm feeling kind of tired and um, maybe I've been sitting down a lot, I'll just do like a quick roll through some of, you know, larger muscle groups. Um, start with kind of the IT band, quads, hamstrings, go down to the calf and pretty brief though, um, just to kind of get the blood flowing, warm the muscles up and kind of get out the door running. And then later in the day, let's say I'm like watching TV, watching some Netflix or something and have the R8 out there. I'll use it a little more extensively and I kind of use it more to target specific issues for me. I definitely use the R4 a lot or the R3 when I'm just kind of laying on, laying on the ground, watching television. But yeah, I use them all and, you know, travel with them all and Obviously, I'm biased, but they're, they're my favorite recovery tools. Can you give us a little tease here on what this uh, adjustable R8 might look like that you have coming? Yeah, so for about, I've been with Roll for, yeah, over seven years. And they, I mean, the customer feedback we've gotten for quite a while is to develop some form of adjustable R8. And it was a little more complicated than we thought to to do it the way that we really wanted. So it's taken a while, but right there where you'll be able to self-adjust the R8 for, you know, the feel that you're looking for. So it'll have a dial and basically a lot of the customers we work with, some of them, you know, are much older, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s even. And the current model is just a little too aggressive. Mm -hmm. They do like the softer plush inserts, but we want to design something that could also just have a little less force. And so the dial will be able to let you really loosen it up. But then we also work with a lot of elite athletes or, you know, CrossFitters or pitchers, tennis players, basketball players that were looking for something a little more aggressive, believe it or not. And so the dial, you'll be able to tighten it just a little more. So there'll be a greater range of athletes using the same product, which, which will be really exciting. Oh, that's fantastic. That's a really exciting advance. That, that'll be fun to see when it comes out. You've said you've been with the company for seven plus years now. What led you there to begin? Oh, man. So when I moved out to Boulder, I was working for Power Bar. And uh, I'd kind of seen the roller here and there at a couple of the stores. I'd never seen it anywhere else. It was just after they launched. And I met Jeremy and Adriana randomly at a dinner once, and we hit it off really well. And it was right at the point where they were looking to bring someone on full-time you know for sales to start getting into to retail a little more and they spoke to amanda who was the buyer at boulder running company and was like picking her brain on you know who might be a good hire and she dropped my name fortunately 
And uh, Jeremy followed me up with a call and we hit it off really well. And I was like, man, this thing should be sold in every running store in the country. How can that not be? <laughs> and yeah, so I started there and uh, as their first full-time employee, we had a few others there, Knutson and Nutsa were great. Um, and yeah, it just kind of grew and evolved from there. I got thrown in the fire of it and learned a ton about, you know, not only sales and marketing, but operations and running the business and a little bit of everything. So it's been really, really exciting watching it grow. And Jeremy and Adrian are just amazing people. And uh, yeah, we just brought on two new hires this last week. So we're really excited about that. And we recently partnered with On, um, Dathan Ritzenheim and, and his group out here. And they've been using our space as their gym and just a lot of really exciting things going on. Did you move to Boulder straight from Florida or was there any stop in between? <laughs> yeah, so I graduated from the University of Florida and then couldn't find a job. So I moved back home with my parents and had like three <laughs> part-time jobs. I was trying to get a job at Nike for a while and they were like, you know, you need some retail experience. So I'm like, all right, got my master's, but I'm going to work at the running store, the local Fleet Feet. And uh, still was trying to get a job with Nike. That was kind of my dream. My dad uh, was there in Oregon when Nike got formed. That was another one, another Forrest Gump moment. And uh, he, uh, yeah, I always just thought that was where I was going to end up. And this compression company called 110% that were based just outside of Jack's Beach hired me full time. And so that got me to Jack's Beach and kind of in the running space where I started to meet people. And this friend of mine, Jerry, worked for Power Bar. And I'd go on runs with uh, my friend Jerry and Brett all the time. And I was like, man, I want to move to Boulder. I want to like, I want to beat my dad's time. I want to, you know, have all these trails to run on and just live that lifestyle. And a job just happened to open up in Boulder. And my friend Jerry was like, man, you should throw your hat in here. And he put a good word in for me. And I ended up getting the job and just packed whatever I could into my little 2003 Buick Century that was lucky to even make it out here. And uh, yeah, just planted my roots in Boulder and uh, was working for Power Bar and just started to meet a lot of amazing people along the way. One of my best friends, Kurt, that also went to University of Florida, lived out here. And yeah, we just, we just loved it. And uh, I miss the beach a little bit, but I mean, you can't beat, beat the mountains and the trails out here. So Colorado altitude or Florida humidity, which do you think is a tougher Ooh. adjustment for most people? Well, it depends physically or mentally <laughs> because yeah, Florida, I always felt like, man, if you could train there, you could train anywhere. Um, and it's not, it depends where you're at. I was in Florida, but the summer there is like absolutely brutal from a coach's perspective that, since I coach athletes around the country, just the, how the much the different elements matter and, and being aware of that. And yeah, I'd say Florida is very, very challenging in the winter though. It's great. Cause you, you know, it's so flat. You can kind of get a feel for what sort of fitness level you're at. And, you know, coming to altitude from Florida, it was a challenge for me kind of adjusting, not used to seeing the fast times, you know, you're seeing like splits you saw in like middle school and you're like, Oh man, am I really fit. But, uh, uh, it took a you know a while, but I've adjusted pretty well. And I think also as a coach, just being aware of kind of those different elements and how to adjust and get people to run by feel has been really good. But yeah, it is so brutal, brutal down there. Have you have you trained in Florida at all? 
Yeah, so I, I lived down there for a little while and on, oh, the, on the Gulf near Sarasota. And yeah, oh, yeah. you're right. The, the summer, the summer, man, is it's miserable, <laughs> but it does make you tough. Like I, I just was sharing this story with a buddy the other day on a run that I was getting ready for the Eugene Marathon a number of years ago and ran a little kind of marathon pace tempo, just tune up what felt like marathon effort maybe 10 days out and flew to Eugene. And of course that's into April. It's about this time of year. So it's getting really hot in Florida, but Oregon, it's nice and cool and low humidity. And I got out and got rolling. And next thing you know, I'm averaging 20, 30 seconds a mile faster than what I thought marathon effort was. So yeah. I, I totally buy into the uh, humidity is the poor man's altitude belief. There, there's no question after some, some hot, humid runs in Florida. For sure. There's some great charts on Dewpoint, too, where you look at it and you're like, oh, wow, 20 seconds per mile slower, you know, at a, the same exact effort. It's incredible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you had a good day there. I had a great day. I loved Eugene. That was, and, and that was when you could finish on old Hayward Field on the track there. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, which is an awesome experience. And uh, I look forward to going back and maybe finishing on the track at the new one. Uh, that facility is just remarkable. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. I'm obviously my dad went to Oregon. Yeah, I can't wait to go watch, watch a track meet there. For the visitor to either Colorado or Florida, since you have so much time in both, what's your favorite road race in both of those states that you've done? Oh, wow. So out here, everybody loves Boulder Boulder. I think it's like one of the most challenging races you can do. I believe it's slightly net uphill. And then obviously it's in May, which can be super hot. But the experience is really cool. Um, just that day is super special. They have the elite wave go off way later in the day. So when most of us finish, you can hang out inside the stadium and watch them finish. So I definitely recommend as far as overall experience, that's something really fun to do. And then Florida, Florida actually has just a great, great running scene. Um, North Florida has first place sports there and they have tons of races that they put on. I go back for Gate River, you know, every year. And then they also have the Jacksonville Marathon and then one on Thanksgiving. Then in St. Augustine, they have Matanzas 5k. So I guess it depends on what you're training for. So if you're a 5k person, I'd say Matanzas 5k in St. Augustine is a, a great event. Uh, if you're looking more on the marathon end of the spectrum, you know, then I would do Jack's Bank. Or if you're a Disney person, which I love Disney, you know, that's always a fun, fun one to do in, in January as well. And for the folks who aren't familiar, Boulder Boulder is 10K, correct? Yep. Boulder Boulder is 10K up here at 5,300 feet, mile high. Mm. So you will definitely feel it if you're coming out to travel. It's tough depending where you're coming from to what kind of expectations to put on it. But as far as like experience, it's, it's really cool. Yeah. Have you competed in marathons within the state of Colorado? I have not yet. Mm -hmm. um, I think eventually it's something I definitely want to do, but I've been, I've been chasing that time. Sure. So, so long that usually I, I end up going to sea level, but as far as marathons go out here, the uh, Colorado marathon is a really good one. Yeah. Um, it's Fort Collins. And then Colfax is a real popular one. And then there used to be the rock and roll. I don't believe they have the full anymore. I think they've kept the half. Mm. 
You might have to correct me on that one. <laughs> well, I've heard great things about the, the marathon in Fort Collins, as you mentioned, and it would be really interesting to better appreciate the effects of altitude on racing over the course of, of 26 oh, yeah. miles. Uh, historically, we have the trials at Alamosa in, in 68 before Mexico City, oh, yeah. but yeah. the event was so novel still then, right? It, you could literally just roll up that morning and show up and say, hey, I'm in the trials. It'd be really fun to see that today with a ton of high-level competitors uh, how that impacts the yeah. ability to race that I'm sure you already anecdotally know it every day, what you feel in your running and see in the athletes that you're coaching there. But that could be a fun high level experiment to see some of our best up at five, 6,000 feet. In the elements. And, and there's, you know, athletes out here that are very skilled at running in altitude. Like, you know, for me, I'm not great up here. And so like, when I go down, I feel great and I'll run, you know, much faster and a half or full than you would think I could up here. Whereas some people can run very fast up here. And I think people would be surprised to see who would kind of mm -hmm. show up and perform well. They also have these rebel races out here where they're like significantly downhill. And man, I've heard a lot of those can be challenging because they really, you know, eccentric motion, like it just bangs up your legs really bad. And even for like elite athletes, those are pretty hard to do. Um, you mentioned though, showing up for the trials and stuff. I'm, you know, obviously I love kind of having an aggressive trials time for me to kind of chase. It gives me something, but at the same time, I coach a ton of men and women that are right on that edge. And I think keeping it open for them to chase just keeps more people in the sport. And like, I was at the finish line at CIM a couple of years ago and mm -hmm. like watching this pack of women finish just under the time was probably cooler than any other race I've ever watched better than any elite race I've ever watched. And so for me, I think if we can keep more men and women in the sport, it's only going to grow it. And, but, you know, having that women's time around that 245, 247 has been really cool because it just keeps so many more people in the sport. And yeah, I'm kind of excited to see what, what's going to go on this year. I'm with you 100%, Matt. After having been in Atlanta to see the event that they put on and how fantastic that was. And you mentioned CIM, me and a buddy, we're out there, uh, that would be 2019, one of the last chances that so many men and women had to make the trials. I finished, and then he was a, a few minutes, uh, maybe like four minutes behind me or something, and he had kind of started with some of those women and then moved up, so they were another maybe four or five minutes behind him, and so we hung out there and, and didn't really clear out of the finishing area to watch that clock tick toward 2.45, uh, which I'm sure the fans... You know the stuff that I was watching too. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, it, it's, it's incredible. And I'm, I'm sure the fans got to see it at 2.19 for the men who were ahead of me also. It's so awesome. And to get so many people involved as they did at, in Atlanta, but run it so well and have things go off just as an absolute class A event, it makes you hopeful that will keep this uh, somewhat open, at least moving forward. I understand that we want to have the best of the best, but the more we can encourage people to get there, the I believe the more it can raise the bar in the future for how good we can become as a country of distance runners. Yeah, and you have these, you know, Benji Durdens and Desi's and 
you know, Benji was like a 240s marathoner, his first marathon, and 230s, 20s, teens, you're in 209, you know, mm-hmm. and um, same thing with Dad, it's just like, and so I think just keeping more people in the sport, you know, is, is super important. Yeah, I'll add to that also a story from the flip side, I guess, the, the Peter Bromka story of him coming from three-ish hours down to just seconds away and not making it at CIM, but the beautiful writing that he does on the sport and how that has brought people into it and raised awareness and understanding of the challenge that he was undertaking. That article he wrote, Burn the Boat, I recommend for everyone on setting that incredible goal and chasing it what inspiration to carry over to all aspects of life not just to be better runners but what that can do for us as people there's just so many feel-good stories that come from an event like the marathon trials oh for sure and and that that journey is universal whether you're running four plus hours or you're chasing a standard um that journey is definitely universal and then the lessons you learn are universal as well and like I get more excited. You know, obviously it's been great. I've coached a lot of athletes qualify for the trials and Boston and, and all these great things. But like, I've also had athletes that started their own business or started their own training group. And those are the things I'm super proud of because that's, you know, that's running fast is great, but how impactful is it? You know, I, I don't know. And, but when you start changing other people's lives in, in these different ways, it just shows how powerful, you know, having these ambitious goals and inspiring others and giving back and growing and all that great stuff can do. Yeah, well said. I think to that note, we know Boulder to be one of the most active outdoor oriented communities in our country. Incredibly tight knit group of endurance athletes. Uh, Since the days of another Florida to Colorado transplant, Frank Shorter, to go back to the early to mid 70s after his time in Gainesville and then later in Boulder. I'm just following Frank's footsteps, you know, just need a, <laughs> need a gold medal and I'll be, I'll be right there. Uh, well, I assume that you probably lived in a dorm. I think he was living like in some shack behind the track or something <laughs> in those days. <laughs> oh yeah. We knew, we knew all the runs too, that those guys do bacon strip and they go. Yeah. Just all the different places that those guys would train on. So I definitely followed Frank out here, I guess. That's, you know, nearly 50 years of, a uh, running community and and endurance athletics across the board as well, not just runners who have flocked to Boulder for a lot of days of sunshine and altitude. Uh, But with that, you bring a a certain mindset and a certain uh, approach to life and community and what we value. And so we see in the news as we're in other parts of the country watching there last month, this, horrific mass shooting that leaves 10 people dead. I just, I'd love to hear your perspective on how that's impacted Boulder as such a tight knit community, despite its size. I know it's gotten pretty big now, but also maybe what the running community there might be able to do to help the city heal. And then the lessons that running communities across the country could take from that when uh, unfortunately, we may have to face similar situations. Yeah, obviously super sad and tragic and shocking and, you know, all the the words and feelings that go into something like that. And the running community is super close out here. And, you know, we had um, Dr. Richie Hansen and his athlete, 
Maggie, you know, involved or Maggie, you know, being there and Richie communicating with her during it. And you just feel for, you know, all the families and people involved and it's just absolutely tragic. And I think for a lot of people out here, specifically runners that were also at Boston, it was just kind of like a punch the gut reminder of, you know, how delicate life can be. And, um, you know, since then, the running community has come together with these different runs and raising money in, in different ways. And so that's been obviously amazing to see. And the Roots group, you know, we're, we're friends with a lot of them and just thoughts and prayers to them and anything we can do to help them. And yeah, it, you know, stuff like this is awful and, and tragic. Um, but it, in a weird way, it does bring us together and make us stronger. And, you know, hopefully we can do things to, prevent stuff like this from happening again. Yeah. Matt, how can uh, people follow you, uh, follow your journey? Because uh, I know that there's a lot of people who love to see what's next up for you, uh, what you were going to put on the schedule, your next race, all that kind of stuff. I actually don't have any social media, so that might make it a little challenging, but the um, company I started, Boulder Running Company, or uh, not Boulder, the company I started, Boulder Underground, uh, is a coaching service that you can follow on Instagram. Um, you can follow Roll Recovery. I'll be on there a lot. And yeah, if you uh, message the Boulder Underground Instagram, I have a friend of mine, Nicole, that, that kind of runs it, but she'll pass that on to me if, if anyone wants to reach out. And I understand you, you're tied to run-in. Is that right with Dane? Yeah, that is absolutely correct. A run-in is the proud presenting sponsor of this program. So me and Dane go way back. We had a mutual friend, a friend I went to high school with that ended up going to college with him. And I'll never forget when I first met Dane, I'm super proud of him getting all this going with the store and the podcast, like congrats to you guys, major props. But this is like, man, maybe 15, 15 years ago. I think it was uh, my friend Craig invited me out to the Gate River after party, which is always a blast with first place sports, Jane and Doug and, I get to the back patio there and I meet this guy, his name's Dane and he's got this crazy beard and like a shaved head and this wild, crazy look on his face and he's holding some beers and they're playing Thunderstruck with like Ina Castor and Dan Brown. And you know, every time they say thunder, they're drinking and I'm like, who is this guy? This guy is awesome. And uh, yeah, I'll never forget that he was able to get all these, all these people to have a good time that night and props to him for, for getting all this going. Well, I was going to tee you up for a great Dane Simmons story, but you were already ready for it. So, so thank you for that. We I will... it, yeah, I kept the PG. Yeah, you did. You did. Uh, I will probably start playing Thunderstruck more often in his presence now and uh, see what he does. Good. Uh, Good. Matt, it's been a lot of fun, man. Uh, do you have a uh, plan on the calendar for a next marathon attempt? Um, so I have a bunch of athletes or a, a few that are, you know, trying to hit some big times on the track this summer. So I don't have anything for me kind of coming up for a little while, but Chicago marathon for myself. And then I have a bunch of athletes that will also be at Chicago or at CIM chasing PRs or the trials standard. So we kind of have a large group of us that are really geared for the fall. Um, and then a smaller group that have some big track goals this summer. Fantastic. Uh, I'll have a few guys. We're going back to CIM as well. So hopefully we get to see you and some of your athletes out there. Sounds good.
All right, Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Best wishes going forward. And we are so appreciative of your time. Yeah, this was a pleasure. Tell Dan I said, hey.